interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt Kelly and Tom Fox take up the issue of the reporting of human capital as required by the Securities and Exchange Commission. This reporting is new and the first series of annual reports detailing these issues came out at the end of 2020. It's a fascinating exploration of the intersection of corporate governance, diversity and inclusion, and compliance and ethics all wrapped around culture. I know you will enjoy it. Fox, uh, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, uh, tell us about life in Boston today. Uh, well, Tom, hello. We've got a lot of snow here these days, uh, which is not unusual for Boston in February, but we had, I think, about eight or nine inches of snow last week, and then we got another six inches yesterday, and we're supposed to get a couple of more inches of snow tomorrow, and then I think more on Thursday. We're hoping these are just little dribs and drabs of snow so we can scurry out with our shovels and maintain our sanity. But uh, that's what's going on here. Sounds like a pretty typical winter in Boston. What can you do? This is the business we've chosen when you live here. And uh, the feeling in the town with uh, Tom Brady winning number seven yesterday? You know, uh, I did see that the New England Patriots sent out a tweet right after the victory where they uh, wished him well and uh, congratulated him on being such a greatest of all time. I think they did call him that, uh, which I think he is as quarterbacks go. And uh, it was a nice, classy move. So it's uh, a shame that he was not here, but he is where he is. And he still continued to demonstrate his excellence. So that's that. That he did. That he did. So, Matt, last week you wrote a really interesting blog post that I think has a lot of different angles on uh, human capital and the requirement from Securities and Exchange Commission for companies to now talk about human capital. Uh, So I was wondering if maybe we could explore that and and you could start off by a little bit of uh, background on that issue. Yeah, so this had caught my eye last fall because the SEC had adopted new disclosure requirements that went into effect for corporate annual reports after November 9, 2020, uh, where you had to disclose more about your human capital factors. And uh, that's vague. The SEC admitted that's vague. And not everyone at the SEC liked that that standard was vague. But here's what we know that you're supposed to try to disclose. Um, You're supposed to disclose the total number of employees at the company and then employees per business segment, if that segment is material. Um, Disclosing total number of employees is something businesses had done for a long time. Uh, You are supposed to disclose any human capital metrics or objectives. What does that mean? You get to decide for yourself, but the SEC did give some examples such as employee turnover, uh, tenure on the job, Um, even percentage of employees who might be in unions or overseas employees or not. Uh, You're supposed to disclose information 
that the business deems material about diversity and inclusion. Uh, that could be a percentage breakdown of how many minorities employees you have. Uh, and some companies might even disclose how many minorities you have in the workforce overall and how many in management. Um, how exactly are we defining minority? Again, that is vague. I am sure that racial uh, diversity is foremost, but uh, LGBTQ or female employees or any other metrics, um, it's a lot of whatever the company thinks is material about human capital. That's what it is supposed to disclose. Um, as I said, the reports, you had to start including them for any report filed after November 9 of last year. So if you do the math, there were a handful of companies with their fiscal year end on September 30th. So they, we saw a smattering of them between November and December. A lot more companies are filing their annual reports now because their year end was on December 31st, and that is after the November 9 deadline. So now we're starting to get critical mass of a lot of human capital disclosure examples. So I just wanted to go and look and see what these disclosures might say about corporate ethics, culture, and uh, compliance, which you didn't have to disclose. The rules do not say thou shalt do that. Some companies did, some companies didn't. We can talk about what I found, but that's the background here. So Matt, we uh, recall reading about discussions by CFO types around human capital, but when they tend to talk about it, it is as not humans, but as capital. And it's part of the capital contribution to each corporation and that they view that as something that is uh, easily, uh, I don't want to say displaceable, but certainly uh, movable if there is less business. They can decrease human capital if there's more business. They can increase human capital. They can shift human capital to various locations uh, as needed. And they viewed it as just another asset of the corporation. Do you have any sense of uh, whether or not that type of philosophy was reported in any of the disclosures you read? Um, not quite like that. Uh, human capital is one of those things that, in my observation, everybody says it's important. Nobody is ever going to say human capital is not important. Even the private equity types who are all about, um, you know, how can we automate? How can we keep down costs and all of this other stuff? Everybody likes to say human capital is a top priority. I think that's generally true. When you look at the most profitable and most um, rapidly growing businesses out there, most of them are highly white collar, high skill businesses, Amazon, Apple, all of the tech companies. Um, the reason they're so overpriced is because their earnings growth is um, increasing dramatically year over year. And that comes from having really highly educated uh, workforce. Um, so, yeah. Again, I struggle with exactly what it is you're what's the message you're trying to convey with human capital disclosures here. I'm not saying they're not important. I think they are. And Tom, if we had time, we could talk about how the SEC may in the future modify its requirements for what you're disclosing. But right now, the SEC knew that it couldn't not uh, have people say something about the importance of human capital. But then they punted and said, you get to define what's material and important yourself. Um, and a lot of companies are taking a, a wide range of approaches in what they're going to put in the 10K. Um, and if you're going to look for it, it is specifically in item one, the business description of the 10K. That is where all of these are. Look for the human capital heading. 
A lot of companies also disclose something voluntarily about their commitment to business integrity and all of that other fun stuff, which is important, but it is not the same as what we're talking about here. Human capital, that's the heading, and we'll see some material underneath it, and that's looking at. So could you uh, give us a sense of uh, perhaps some of the different uh, definitions of human capital, or at least how companies may have reported it in their 10Ks that you observed? A lot of them talked about uh, diversity and inclusion. And that is one thing where I think we might see a more detailed and prescriptive framework on what you have to disclose uh, sometime in the future. But a lot of them talked about that. A lot talked about the total number of employees they had and then broke it down between, say, major operating segments or managerial employees versus every all the other employees. Um, some Boeing, for example, broke down how many of its employees were in unions, what was the state of union contracts and negotiations. Um, some of them did this in really neat table format where you could easily see it. Some of them wrote it all out in narrative form and made me have eye strain trying to read it, which was mildly annoying. But again, there's no rule on how you should present this information. Um, and then I looked also at exactly what they did try to say for corporate culture. And I did that by looking at the all annual reports from, I think from everybody, from November 1st or November 9th, clear up until February 2nd or so. And uh, then I just searched in text corporate culture within that business description disclosure item one. And I just looked at what came up. Um, so we can go into some of the examples specifically around ethics and corporate culture, but I will be honest, there, there wasn't a lot there. That's so far in what we've seen, and there will be many more examples coming soon, but so far from what we've seen, it's only a minority of companies that are talking about corporate compliance and ethics and ethical culture at all in their human capital. Well, why don't you uh, share with us some of the uh, examples that you did find around culture, ethics, and compliance, or simply ethics? So here is one from Scott's miracle Grow, the uh, fertilizer and garden people. Uh, they had their annual report filed on November 24, where they had said, and I have it on my screen here, so let me just look at it. Uh, Training is an integral part of developing and retaining our associates and creating a culture of leadership within the company. As part of our standard onboarding program, associates take 10, more than 10 hours of training covering our commitment to leadership, ethics, and values. That was the, Scott's had many other types of human capital disclosure there, but that was the key paragraph about corporate culture and ethics and compliance there. Uh, it was one of the few I saw and it stuck out because, okay, that's an actual number of hours for training related to ethics and culture and leadership. I didn't see anybody else get into that level of detail about their training. Uh, Kansas City Southern Corp, on the other hand, uh, transportation guys, they are based out in Kansas City. Uh, they talked a lot, and I'll read off their uh, line here too. It's about four sentences or so. KCS's strong culture and core values should allow KCS to fulfill its vision and continue to endure in times of stress. The culture helps guide how employees make decisions, treat each other, and serve customers. All employees are responsible for upholding the Kansas City Southern culture, and conformance with the culture statement is 25% of the annual performance appraisal process for all management employees. 
So that was one of the only ones I saw where we were getting into the weeds of actually appraising and evaluating managers on their leadership ability, their commitment to the ethical culture. Um, how exactly this has happened, they don't say. We know it's 25%. 25% and then what? Do you get a bonus if you are ethical? Do you not get a bonus because being ethical should be part of the job? We don't know. But again, it's an actual detail. It's a number. I didn't see many numbers at all in any discussions about corporate culture and ethics. Um, I'll give you one more example of a rather vague one. Um, more, I won't. Okay. Well, they'll be upset that I called it vague. Whatever. Um, you know, it's it's smacks of boilerplate to me. This is Shift Pixie. Don't ask me what they do, uh, but I do like the name Shift Pixie. Uh, in their annual report filed on November 30th, they talked a bit about our corporate employee manual and those employee manuals that we prepare on behalf of our clients set forth detailed provisions reflecting the values and also providing direction for registering complaints, including through anonymous hotline activity um, in the event of violations of our policies. Our executive officers and supervisors maintain open door policies and any form of retaliation is strictly prohibited. Um, that's great. I love all of that. Uh, it's not specific. It, uh, it does sound a lot like it could be lifted from your anti-retaliation policy and you just dropped it right into your 10K, which is not wrong, uh, but it isn't the doesn't offer any specific examples like what we had seen with Kansas City Southern or Scott's miracle Grow, where they're talking about actual training hours. They're talking about how much they tie corporate culture to employee evaluations. Um, so there's a lot like that. Oh, there's a lot more like what Shift Pixie had said, uh, where they talk about the importance of it, but they're not quantifying it in any way. So kudos to Scott's and kudos to uh, Kansas City Southern for trying to quantify it at least. Um, the other issue that came up a lot that I saw was uh, there are a lot of discussions around diversity and inclusion and a lot more detail. Um, and that is not directly related to ethics and compliance, but it is tangential to corporate culture, ethics and compliance. Um, Google was one where they made mention in their human capital disclosures that they think about this, but then please see our separate diversity report, which I did not look at, but Google has a huge separate diversity report where they break down um, racial diversity in the workforce, um, any questions about um, management, racial diversity and management ranks. So you'll see a lot of that. Um, and that gets to some compliance questions around equal employment opportunity, uh, the EEOC commission reports that some companies have to file. Um, again, don't be surprised if the Biden administration steps up your required regulatory filings to the EEOC on diversity in your workforce and gender equity, uh, racial equity around pay and promotion. So is that a compliance issue? It's an EEOC report. You have to pay attention to that. And where would you get that data? How would you put it into that report? What else could you do with it? Could you put it into your human capital disclosure? Yes, you could. So you can see where diversity and inclusion is related to corporate culture, ethics, and compliance. It is something that would wind up in a securities filing now. And I don't know to what extent some companies might corral their diversity efforts and corporate compliance together. Um, but 
I think you really, you know, you can't have one working well without the other also working well. That's my suspicion. I'm actually going to do a deeper dive into DNI reports uh, in human capital disclosures and see what else we can think of there about uh, internal policies, um, data capture for regulatory reporting, things like that. That's coming next. But those are the sort of things that you find in here right now. But I would posit that data, uh, excuse me, diversity and inclusion really is a part of institutional justice, and that's squarely within the remit of the compliance function for the entire company uh, to have both institutional justice, but also institutional fairness, so that there would need to be some sort of oversight from that, uh, from the compliance perspective. I, I would agree. And uh, the way I would put it is if diversity and inclusion is part of a good corporate culture, which I would mandate or argue that it is, if you're not good at your DNI efforts, whether that is just out of the love of good diversity practices or because the EEOC has requirements, but if you're not good at that, you are going to have a poor, a lesser corporate culture. And then if you have a lesser corporate culture in one way, that tends to wind up, you have got a bad corporate culture in all sorts of ways. And then it very much is part of the compliance officer's problem too. Uh, so I do think it's something where a compliance officer at the least has to keep one eye on what are we doing over there and seeing how you can support those kind of efforts and vice versa. Um, but you know that's uh, th that is to be seen how that will evolve. Um, I think Tom, it's another interesting point is that this is the very first time any companies have filed these human capital disclosures. There is no right or wrong answer right now. I will be curious to see how this unfolds over time. What will they say next year and the following year and the year after that? Uh, what if the SEC does adopt more stringent and prescriptive uh, human capital disclosures, which they might. They're already looking at disclosures around climate change. And if you want to cast a wide net as to ESG disclosures and putting more information around that in your corporate report, that's going to touch on human capital disclosure because it gets to diversity and inclusion and uh, gender and pay equity and whatnot. So I don't uh, like this is a very interesting first incarnation we've ever looked at. But I'll be curious to see what this looks at. So it looks like, say, two or three years from now, too. And that's the point I really wanted to pick up on next is you have data mine 10Ks and uh, Qs for many, many years is there a sort of a normal or natural evolutionary cycle after the SEC announces they uh, companies need to report certain information that it becomes more detailed? It conversely goes the other way and becomes more general. Is is there something you can look to in the past which might guide us about how companies might do it in the future? Yeah, that's a good question, and it can vary. Um, if they start to require really more specific financial data. For the first time, then the natural cycle will be companies won't quite know what to do. They'll take their best shot and in including that data uh, in the footnotes is where the SEC uh, report reviewers and uh, the corporation finance division, they'll start sending some comment letters back to some filers. Why would you say this? Why didn't you say that? Then we all freak out. We all read the tea leaves. What does this mean for everybody else? We go through that. Um, but if you ignore a financial disclosure requirement, eventually you're going to get into hot water with the SEC. These non-financial disclosures, which I think are still important, it is rare that the SEC has ever taken any enforcement action or given any feedback to help people sharpen the focus. Uh, we have had, for example, climate change disclosures 
we've had climate change disclosure as a required item in SEC filings for 10 years. They have never enforced that. Uh, they have never taken an enforcement action because of some sort of poor climate change disclosure. They've never really defined what that is. So if they're not defining it, then you get to define for yourself what is or isn't material. Is the SEC staff really going to chase that down? Like, I mean, maybe they have. If they've done that to somebody listening, please tell me, because I've never heard of anything like that around uh, climate change. They have taken some actions around cybersecurity risks, which, again, are also like they're not financial in the sense of disclosing revenue or operating income or allowances for lost loans or loan receivables, anything like that. This human capital disclosure is going to fall into that kind of vague category where I'm not quite sure what people are going to do with it yet. I would be curious what institutional investors will do with this information. Um, I will be curious what good governance types might do with it. But more than anything else, we just have to realize this was enacted in a Republican administration. We now have a Democratic administration. They're probably going to try to soup up those requirements. The two Democratic SEC commissioners at the time last fall, uh, they did not love these requirements because they thought they were too vague and nonspecific. And now they're going to be in the majority as soon as we have a new SEC chairman from the Biden administration, which will happen in a couple of months, at least or at the, the latest, probably sooner than that. Um, so would a new Democratic SEC revisit all of this, maybe adopt more stringent rules or sweep this up into a greater ESG disclosure obligation? Like That's not far-fetched to say that they might. I don't know what that would look like. I don't know when that would happen. But I'm skeptical to think that, okay, it won't happen. And this is the last of it. This is as good as it gets, or this is as robust as this disclosure gets. I don't think this is the end of that. So let me ask about uh, lawyers who might bring shareholder actions based upon the statements in these uh, annual reports. Is this an area that corporations need to be wary of because they either uh, incorrectly report, overpromise, or something else, or would that simply be a throw-in if they had an actual case where there was a termination based upon diversity and inclusion or some other discrimination, which is already illegal under another uh, federal act? I have wondered that myself, Tom. I think that is an excellent question, and that was my first thought as I was looking at the diversity and inclusion reports specifically, whether any failure to progress there or any abysmal numbers because you haven't ever paid attention to it before, could those disclosures then become somehow a part of a anti-discrimination complaint? Um, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I think if you are an aggrieved employee who thinks you've been passed over or retaliated because of your race or your gender or your sexual orientation, you've probably got other facts that you can hang your hat on anyways. And you probably would want to be looking at the EEOC disclosures. Um, if like I, I don't know exactly what sort of investor case, like a class action lawsuit, could come out because of this, these disclosures. Um, I like I, I can remember at one point we saw several companies decades ago now at this point in the 80s and 90s who had some really bad problems with. Uh, discrimination against their employees. And I like to think that is largely in the past. I'm probably wrong, but you know, I 
I think any sort of big systemic, systematic discrimination against certain categories of employees, um, black employees, Latinos, um, I, I don't know who else, we, uh, gender discrimination or something like that. Um, I don't know that this information would necessarily be the best information you would cite if you were the plaintiff lawyer. Um, like you said, Tom, maybe they would cite it as uh, just icing on the cake with whatever other facts and data they have. Uh, but uh, this is America. This, we sue each other all the time. So as I often say, I look forward to the fact pattern that lets us discuss this more specifically, because I suspect sooner or later, somebody will try it. I just don't know who. Matt, it sounds like at the very least we need to uh, keep an eye on this. It's going to be uh, an information source that uh, could prove endlessly fascinating, and it may be uh, that the regulators become a little more interested in this and we have move on the regulatory front, so it all could be moving uh, with many different parts at once. Very possible. Well, I look forward to your continued data mining of this information and uh, reporting back with what you come up with. All right, Tom. Take care. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central, where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>